Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is The Meaning of Life by Pastor Sean Wood. Interesting little uh, YouTube clip, but it asks some questions that I think we all ask. If we're honest with ourselves, I think a lot of us ask questions. I think if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of us have questions concerning the meaning of life, the purpose of life. Is it possible to be happy in this life? Is it possible to know meaning and purpose? And today I want to, I want to take you through a quick journey with a man that asked exactly that question. Is there meaning to life? And he explored every avenue and every road and he did find a conclusion. We're going to pray before we do. Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you that there is meaning and purpose in life simply because you exist. Father, I thank you that we are, we are here under your word. I ask that you would open our ears and open our eyes this morning, I pray in your wonderful name. Amen. If you'd like to meet me in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, back in 2018, we did a, a, brief, uh, a brief trip through the book of Ecclesiastes and we opened up uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. It is written by a man by the name of Solomon. Uh, Solomon, everybody knows, is King David's son. And Solomon starts off his journey. Here's the biography of Solomon. Solomon starts off his journey very well. He starts off, uh, he answers the question very well. If I could give you anything, what would it be? Wisdom to lead your people. And God says, because you ask for wisdom, I'm going to give you everything else. And uh, I want you to know that if, if Solomon was alive today... If we transferred the wealth that Solomon had to today's currency, he's currently the richest man on the planet. There has never been a person in history that has amassed the wealth that Solomon amassed in his lifetime. And if we transferred that to today, he would still be the richest man today. But he had some questions in life. And uh, many, many Bible scholars and preachers will say, you know, when it comes to the book of Ecclesiastes, don't worry about that book. It's full of lies. You can't base anything on it. It's, it's the ramblings of a madman until you get to chapter 12. And I would like to say that I'm very thankful for the first 11 chapters of Ecclesiastes. Because finally we have somebody in the Bible that has decided I'm going to lift the lid on all those questions in life that people ask and never really explore. And one of the big questions that he wants to ask is, is there meaning in life? Is there meaning and is there purpose in life? Everybody is actually looking for meaning and purpose in this life. Everybody is searching for a purpose. If you talk to people outside of church circles, every one of them will say that they are looking for meaning and purpose. What's the meaning of life? There seems to be no point to life if God doesn't exist. The YouTube clip highlights it beautifully. What point is there in life? We're kind of born, we, we struggle through this often futile world. Do you ever notice that? You ever noticed? Let's, let's unpack a few of the things we're going to look at today. You ever noticed how, how bad things happen to good people? Has anybody ever noticed that? So did Solomon. You ever notice how sometimes good fortune falls in the lap of evil people? Yeah. Have you ever wondered whether we can actually be truly happy in this life? Most of us have, and most people are searching for that sense of happiness. I think in Western culture, I think we've left something behind from the Hebrew culture that we should all begin to embrace again. You see, 
the Hebrews viewed life remarkably different to every one of us today. Today, we often compartmentalise life. That's what I spoke a little bit about last week. We, we try to section our life up into compartments. We have, we have this compartment here for, for work. We, we have a compartment for our family life. We have a compartment for, our, for our, our hobbies and our interests. And quite often, we have a little compartment over the back there that we leave for God. God, we've sectioned off this little place here. It's called the broom closet that we, we'd like to leave for you down the back. And And the Hebrews had a completely different view of life. They actually viewed life as a circle. And for the people of God, the Hebrew people, they viewed life as a circle. And that circle only really exists if God is right in the middle. And I want to challenge everybody in this room today. It doesn't matter what demographic of life you're on. It it doesn't matter today if you've been a Christian for 20 years following Jesus. I love the book of Ecclesiastes because I'm I'm challenged every time. But it doesn't matter whether you've been a Christian for 20 years or you've never heard the name of Jesus before. I want to ask you this question. What is it that's at the centre of your circle? More importantly, who is it that's at the center of your circle. If you've got to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, I want to start with uh, verse 2. He says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, and then of course he's talking about himself. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now he's observing life and uh, you need to view Ecclesiastes as one long sermon. And so he's bringing us to the introduction. And what a way to start off a sermon. What a, what a positive, upbeat way to start off a sermon. Uh, Solomon says, you know, I've viewed all of life and everything's empty and everything's vanity. Well, you're off to a great start. This week we had our A to A leaders together day here. And one of our prominent leaders said, you know, when it comes to preaching, everybody should aim to start well. Solomon, you just failed. Absolutely failed. Vanity of vanities, he says, all is vanity. And that word vanity in the Hebrew is the word hevel. And it means a vapour or a mist or a, or a smoke. And what, what Solomon says is, you know, life is like smoke. It gives the appearance of being solid, but when you try to grasp it, there's nothing there. It has an allurement. And just like smoke, life is often here for a moment and blown away in the next breath. He says, vanity of vanities. He's observed everything that goes on. I wonder if we've observed similar things to Solomon. Verse 4, he says, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains. The sun rises and the sun goes down. And we all know that science has now proven the earth goes round. But you can do that with that what you like. The wind blows to the south and it goes round to the north. Verse 7, he says, you know, all the streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. He says, it seems like there's a vanity. Friends, I've got some really good news for most of us in this room. Do you know 200 years after you're dead, it's likely nobody will remember your name. Nobody here on earth, unless you're somebody prominent like George Washington. and, and, And we struggle to remember. History was not my best subject. George who? I couldn't care less. But for most of us, what what he's unpacking is generations come, generations go, and nothing's changed. In fact, he goes on to say, nothing's new under the sun. Now, we don't want to, we don't really like looking, we don't like lifting lids like this, Solomon. We want to talk about how much God loves us. I can tell you now, 200 years after you're dead, I'll tell you somebody who will remember you, and that's God. God. 
Solomon says, this life seems like it's a vanity. Life is fleeting, friends. I can, it, it seems like only yesterday that my almost 20-year-old daughter was born. And most parents here will go, yeah, I know what that pain's like. Grey hair comes quicker than it goes, my friends. And we all get old and life... I'm 30... <laughs> okay, whatever age I am, it's gone really, really quickly. I think most people here would say, you know, it only seems like yesterday that I got married. It only seems like, like yesterday that I graduated from school. But life is quick. Life is fleeting. And uh, we're going to unpack more about life as we, as we move along. But the first thing he wants everybody to know is uh, you can't build on life because there's no solidity here. One thing that the preacher wants us to know, we're going to unpack more of this as we work our way through, is he wants everybody to know there's no guarantees in this life. You ever noticed that? This life was not sold to you by Demtel. Remember the guy on the Demtel ads? I know you want more, and here's a money-back guarantee. Life does not come with a money-back guarantee. Anybody ever notice that? There's no guarantees. Well, Solomon's going to unpack it for us. He says in verse 2, he's decided that, you know what, I'm going to have a look for meaning and purpose wherever I can find it. And he's a guy that had the resources. He says, verse two, chapter 2, sorry, verse 1, he says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. And have a listen to the list that he reels off here. Uh, first of all, I made great works. I built houses. I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks. And he says, I've, I had great possessions, he goes on to say, and I had more treasure than all of the kings. But he also ends up saying, all of this is vanity. Here's a guy that had concubines and, and singers. Anything that his heart desired, he had. He, he speaks about the parties that he had and the, and the wine and getting drunk and, and all these things that we think life is all about now. I, I go to gym with people that are living in this space. You know, life is all about living up the pleasures of life. You know, live, eat, be merry, get drunk is the Western culture. You're a hero if you can't remember last night. What? Solomon says, you know, I've walked this road as far as anybody on this planet could ever take it. Tim Keller, uh, he planted a church in Manhattan, New York. Tim Keller now has grown to an enormous church. It's great work that he's done in Manhattan. But he, he has a friend at a local cafe, a lady that owns the local cafe. And she says, you know, uh, a lot of people come to Manhattan looking for their break in Hollywood. And she says they come to this cafe often because it's a popular little shindig for the actors, apparently. And she said, you know, they come here and she said they're working three jobs and they have a dream and they have a hope to make their big break in Hollywood. And she said they're, they're auditioning for everything they can. And she said the saddest day is when they finally get their big break. She said because everything they've worked for and she said everything that their life consisted of, they finally get everything they ever wanted and they realise one thing when they get to the top. I'm still empty. And that's what Solomon realised right here. He said, I've got all the pleasures. I've walked this road as far as anybody else is ever going to walk it. And he said, when you get to the end of the road, he said, I want everybody to know you're still as empty as when you started. I amassed great possessions. I've noticed something in Queensland. And apparently it's contagious because it's the same case for me now. I've noticed that double car garages are not for cars. Has anybody ever noticed that? 
For us, it's a place to park kayaks and, and to rack up all our fishing gear. But I've noticed that nobody parks their car in the garages. Uh, little, little Tony here is flat out putting shades up for people's cars. Right outside their double garages. It's interesting, isn't it? I'm sure that if, if I went through all of our garages, I'd find stuff that you didn't even know was there. But it's not only that. He says, you know, surely there's purpose and meaning in wisdom. Verse 12 of chapter 2, he says, I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. He, he, surely that if I live a wise life, he says, surely if I grow in knowledge, surely there's meaning and purpose in that. Surely I can find some guarantees if just for a moment I'm wiser than the next person. Jesus said that the wisdom of this world is like foolishness before God. But the preacher goes on and he says, and yet I perceive that the same event happens to them all. It doesn't matter whether you're foolish or you're wise. He comes down and he says, uh, in verse 16, he says, for the wise... For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. No one remembers you. It doesn't matter how wise you are. Seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. Doesn't matter how wise you are. Doesn't matter how many PhDs you have. Doesn't matter how many letters follow your name. You will die like the person sitting next to you. I'll give you two guarantees in life. You will pay taxes and every person in this room will pass away. I pray, I pray it's many years to come because I love you all too much for you to go to glory just yet. But I make you this guarantee, every person here will pass away in the physical. Solomon says, you know what? This is emptiness. There's no meaning in this. Wisest man that ever lived. He could see the benefit of wisdom. He said, I can see the benefit of living wisely and making wise choices. That's why, I, that's why I wrote the book of Proverbs. But he says, you know what? At the end of the day, the same thing happens to the other person. You don't prolong your life because you're wiser. He goes on and he says, there is vanity in toil or in work. I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun. And uh, you put two, particularly in Australia... You put two males in the same room as each other and they don't know each other. I can guarantee you what the first question is going to be. What do you do with yourself? And there's a reason for that because I'm sure it's the same for most ladies as well. But men uh, wrap up all of their meaning and all of their purpose and all of their identity in what they do all too often. The first question that's going to come is, what do you do with yourself? Oh, you're an axe murderer. I'd like to introduce you to my mother-in-law. But apart from that... Not my mother-in-law, she listens to my sermon, so not my mother-in-law because um, we deeply love uh, my mother-in-law. She's, she, I'll get a phone call when she listens to this one. <laughs> what did you mean by that, Sean? <laughs> Somebody I need you to meet. No, um, but we do. We, and Solomon gets to the end of this and he says, it doesn't matter how hard you work, listen, listen to verse 24. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. If you work hard... Enjoy the fruits of your labour, friends. Why? Because this also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Uh, Up in verse 21, he says, Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. You'll work hard and someone who hasn't worked will come in and take the spoils. 
You're doing all the hard work. You're trying to find meaning and purpose. You're trying to build a legacy and somebody's going to come behind you and just pilfer it. That happens sometimes. And so he says, I've walked all these roads, friends. I've, I'm the wisest man that's ever lived. According to scripture, he's the wisest man that's ever lived. He says, I've walked the road of pleasure. I've got more resources than anybody here. And I've had all that your heart could ever desire. And I have found that no matter what happens, I get to the top of the mountain and I'm empty. I've used this analogy before, but for those who haven't seen the movie, there's a movie called Lone Survivor. And right, it's a movie about, a true story, about four Marines that are uh, sent on a mission in Afghanistan. And it's a great movie to watch, um, particularly the ending and, and what that man does. Yes, it's very graphic, but my boys suffered through it. But uh, these four Marines are dropped in and they stumble across a couple of goat herders. And these goat herders have got radios. They're up there scouting and they're radioing back. They have a deliberation. What do we do with these guys? Do we tie them up? Do we knock them off? Do we let them go? And then after many arguments, they say, you know what, we're going to let them go. The boy runs back. They make this decision based on one thing. They turn behind them and say, we've got no communications where we are, but, but there's the top of the mountain. We can make that mountain before anybody can get to us. We'll, we'll radio out to base and they'll send the choppers in and get us. We'll, we'll be all good. Everything goes according to plan until they reach the ridge line, and that's not the top of the mountain. It's what they call a false summit. <laughs> And they're in enormous trouble. If you watch the movie, you'll find out how much trouble they get into. It's called Lone Survivor because four go in and one comes out. But they reached the place and they said this is a false summit. What Sol- Solomon's saying here is, doesn't matter whether it's your work, doesn't matter whether, whatever it is, whatever else you're putting inside in the middle of that circle, no matter what else you put in the middle of that circle, you're going to find it is a false summit. It's kind of like putting a wheel on with a dodgy axle. That wheel will spin and everything will go according to plan, but your whole life will fall apart depending on what sits in the middle or who sits in the middle. Let's keep going with some of the observations that that he made. Next thing, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. He makes the observation in life. Have you ever noticed that there's seasons in life? Has anybody noticed that there's seasons in life? Has anybody noticed that there's rhythms to life? The tide comes in, the tide goes out. The sun comes up, the sun goes down. Greatest, actually, I think it's the greatest evidence for the existence of God because atheists tell me that my world apparently came into existence by the, a series of blind random events and I can't find anything random at all in the whole of creation. Nothing's random. Everything, everything works according to perfect order. That's why I can't be an atheist. But I've noticed something about seasons. Has anybody noticed that you can't control the seasons? Because we'd, be like, we'd be like in winter. and In Queensland, you would have winter all year. The, the, trust me, friends. If you're from Tasmania, you will know the winters in Queensland are enormously seductive. And the summers in Tasmania are enormously seductive. There's no humidity. We enjoy 25 degrees once or twice a year. For the rest of the year, you rug up. 
But Solomon says there are seasons in life and he's now going to introduce one of the first two things that he says is imposed upon man. There are two things that are imposed upon every single person and there's nothing you can do about them except for steward them. First one is time. Now, friends, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. You can go home today and you can decide, I'm going to lay down, I'm not going to move, I'm not going to do a single thing for the rest of my life. And I guarantee you one thing, you will still age, you will still grow grey hair, you cannot turn the clock back. Sure, she wanted to turn back time and nobody's been able to do it. God has imposed time upon every single person and you can't do it. The clock is ticking, friends. The psalmist David says, Lord, if there is one thing I ask of you, teach me to number my days. What's he saying? Every breath, every moment, is that important? Teach me to see the importance in every day. Teach me to see the importance in every minute. Teach me to see the importance in every hour. Why? Because tomorrow I actually may not be here. For everything there is a time, For everything in our lives, there is a season. There are seasons where God cuts us back. And there are seasons when we enjoy enormous fruit. But no matter what season it is, friends, I guarantee you this one thing, you cannot control them. And you can't do anything with time except for steward it. And the other thing that's imposed upon mankind is death. Time and death, you can't do anything about them. Here's my number one job as your pastor, is to help you die well. My job as pastor is to ensure that you enter into the next life well, that you have lived such a life here that you're ready to enter into the next world. Two things, can't do anything about them, but we can steward them. Another observation is that he makes is uh, keeping up with the Joneses. Chapter 4, have a listen to these verses in in verse 4. He says, Then I saw that all the toil and all the skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbour. You know, a lot of us live life today. Uh, It is dictated to us by our culture. Here in Australia, everybody's trying to dictate how you should live. Everybody's, uh, the general culture says that you kind of get married at a young age, you have your 2.4 children, Mitchell's our point four. you have your 2.4 children and, and everybody keeps the Australian dream and buys their house. Guess what? You can't take your house with you. But we get into this discontented mode where we have to have more. And somebody next to us has got a new car, so we have to have a new car. And the person next to us just put an extension on the back of the house and they just built a pool, so we need a pool. It's called keeping up with the Joneses. This also is vanity, says the preacher. He goes on and he says, uh, they come from a man's envy of his neighbour. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness. This is a great verse. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after the wind. What's he saying? Better is a little bit of minimalism in our lives than striving after and exhausting all of your life for stuff that you can't take with you. I have not been to too many funerals, praise the living God. But I notice one thing about every funeral. Even if you watch one on television, it doesn't matter which funeral you turn up to. No funeral has a U-Haul truck coming up the road. Why? Because you can't take anything with you. My Bible tells me, Jesus tells me, 
that I go to prepare a place for you. I don't need a house here. I've got one coming. On the shore of the lake, plenty of fish. So Reuben doesn't need to come. But there is, there is a growing trend today where people are saying, you know what? There's more to life than what I can cram into my double garage. There's more to life than having to have a pool just because my next door neighbour's got a pool. Solomon says, this is vanity, friends. You are wasting your life and you're letting everybody else tell you how you should live your life. Make up your own mind. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Chapter 5, verse 10. He goes on and he says, "To He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. When I first started a full-time job, this is not a hint or a challenge for the board, by the way. But when I started my first job, and this might give an indication of just how young I am, I worked 40 hours a week for $150. Do you know I wouldn't get out of bed today? Most people don't get out of bed for that in a day's wage. If I can't earn that in a day now, I don't get out of bed. But that was a full time. I was living out of home. I was living on my own for $150 a week when I first started. That's almost the price of a cup of coffee today, right? (laughs) Except at our cafe. Isn't it interesting that wages increase, living increases, I get all of that, but isn't it interesting how uh, you could look back and say, you know what, five years ago, $500 was all we needed. Now we're getting $1,000 and we never have enough. What Solomon says is, we often forget to read the fine print in life that satisfaction is so often sold separately. There is no problems with money. I want to be absolutely clear about this this morning. There is no problems with money. There's no problems with cars. There's no problems with houses. There's no problems with investments. None of that is a problem. The problem is when all of this here is the centre of your circle. That's when the problem begins. What did Paul say to Timothy? The love of money is the root of all evil. And the preacher here says this is a vanity because you're not going to find any satisfaction. People are striving today looking for satisfaction. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says that God has placed eternity in the hearts of man. Blaise Pascal summed that verse up very beautifully when he said that each and every single one of us are born with a God-shaped hole in our lives that only he can fill. But we spend our lives trying to cram it with everything else we can find. The preacher says, stop wasting your time. You're not going to find satisfaction in anything from this life. This is one that I like. Who here remembers Stephen Bradbury? Come with me to chapter 9. Who here remembers Stephen Bradbury? Not the guy that was on Survivor, because he was on Survivor recently. But he's famous for... You know the funny thing is? That nobody knows who won silver that day. Nobody, nobody cares. And if I asked you who won gold in the previous Olympics to that event... Nobody knows, and half of Australia couldn't care less. All we care about is, this weird little dude here managed to claim gold. Stephen Bradbury. Now, I remember watching a documentary, and Stephen Bradbury got up and he said, you know what, everybody said that I was lucky. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what we said. Everybody said I was lucky and and that I only won gold by a fleeting moment of coincidence. Yes, that's exactly what we said. 
And there's a good reason for that because he was a long way behind every other racer until they all fell over and he just glided over the line. But he says, you guys don't understand. I put in all of the training. You don't know the times when I cut myself. You don't know the times when I lost two teeth when I fell over. No, and we don't care. Why? Because you still weren't the fastest on the day. You were the luckiest. Here's how the preacher puts it in chapter 9. Verse 11, he says, Again I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift. You ever notice that? Yes, Stephen. The race is not always to the swift. He goes on, he says, Nor is the battle always to the strong, nor is bread to the wise. Do you know that England should never have beaten Germany? World War II. Germany had the most formidable army. The battle's not always to the strongest. Praise God for Winston Churchill. The battle is not always to the strong, nor is bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favour to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. In other words, you can train as hard as you like. Spare a moment for this guy. I'm just going to walk over here and point him out. If your heart's going to bleed this morning, let it bleed for this guy. Why? Because on the day, he was actually the fastest skater. What, what, what Ecclesiastes is telling us, what the preacher wants us to know is you can train as hard as you like, but there are no guarantees in life. That guy there on the ground, he wants his money back. Because I did everything right, but he crossed the line. Who knows that winter sports aren't really Australia's forte? And he didn't go very well on Survivor, so your chance ran out. What the preacher wants everybody to know is you can't find any guarantees in this life. Or another way to put it is you may not know what the future holds. Now he's going to switch to the other side of the coin. He says you may not know what the future holds, but we are able to know the one who holds the future. You may not have any guarantees in this life, but you can always find guarantees in God. Chapter 11, verse 1 says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. I want to bring an encouragement to everybody here today, because sometimes this can sound very glum and a very bleak look on life. But what the preacher says is, cast your bread upon the waters. Now, many people use this as a tithing verse, and that's okay, because it's like, give money and it'll come back to you. But that's not what the preacher intends us to know here. What he says is, you know what, there might not be any guarantees in life. And, and you know what, we sit around waiting and wondering what we should do. He says, you know what? Cast your bread, or as we would say today, go ahead and pull the trigger. Go and live life. If God has given you an abundance, enjoy it. If God has given you a family, if God has given you a a position in work, enjoy it. Why? Because God has given it to us to enjoy and cast your bread upon the waters. You might make mistakes, you might pull the trigger and miss the target, but you'll eventually learn to hit the target. Many people come into my office and say, Pastor, you know, I've got this decision I've got to make and I, I don't know... You know, I could make it. And I say to everybody, I say, make a decision and get moving. Pull the trigger. Why? Because when we come down to verse 4, it says, He who observes the wind will not sow. So many people sit around looking at the weather forecast in Tasmania and never go fishing. 
And if you pay any attention to the weather forecast in Tasmania, you will never go fishing. And what Solomon's saying is, everybody sits around looking at the wind, observing the wind. He says, pull the trigger and go and have a go. Cast your bread upon the waters. We haven't quite got to the end of the matter yet. Chapter, verse 5 of chapter 11 says, As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. I was there for the birth of every one of our children. I was also there for the birth of my niece and my nephew. And, you know, everybody's overjoyous when a baby's born, but let's be frank and honest. <laughs> they look like little aliens when they first come out, don't they? When they first come out and they're all covered in muck, you go, whoa, I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> but every time I've been and I've seen the birth, I sit there and go, you know what, God, you have to be... There is no way an atheist can convince me that blind random chance has been able to conform such a beautiful miracle as the birth of a child. And what this verse is telling us is we don't understand the works of God and there are mysteries that will always remain with God that we will never fully fathom and never fully work out. We will never understand his ways. We will never be able to have a formula and there's no box that you can put God in. We just have to let some mysteries rest with him, but we need to place our lives in his hands. Solomon finishes with the end of the matter in chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 13, he says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. In other words, he says, uh, we've looked for meaning and purpose in all the avenues of life. We've, we've observed, you ever noticed how when you walk into, a, uh, into your kitchen or something, it happens here sometimes, someone forgets to take the rubbish out. You walk in Monday morning, you go, whoa, what is that smell? Nobody wants to lift the lid and try and find what it is that's got the odour. But he says, you know, after all's been heard, we've lifted all the lids. We, we've observed the fact that we can't do anything about time and we can't do anything about death. And there are seasons in life and satisfaction is always sold separately. And the race doesn't always go to the swift and you can't find any guarantees in life. So here's the end of the matter. He says, fear God and keep his commandments. Let me paraphrase that for you. Here's the end of the matter. Put God in the middle of your circle and let him control everything else. It's kind of like this. We, we celebrate birthdays and stuff a lot here and we cut up a cake. And often we try also to cut our lives up like a cake or like a pie. And here's a slice for work. Just the same as compartmentalising it. We try to have a little... But the Hebrews, had a, they have a completely different view. They go, no, no, no. God's the circle. God's the cake, God's the pie, and now we divvy our life up into him. There's a lot that we don't understand, there's a lot that we're wondering about, but I want to introduce you to the ultimate explanation. In John chapter 1, the writer of the Gospel of John says, In the beginning the Word became flesh, he made his dwelling among us. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And every time he uses the word word, it's the Greek word logos, or it's the Greek word for the ultimate explanation. 
You see, John was writing to Greek philosophers and Stoics. What's the difference between a philosophy degree and a large pizza? You can feed a family with a large pizza. But these guys sat around thinking about everything that we've just mentioned now. These Greek philosophers, they observed all the rhythms of life. They observed all the routine in life. They observed what uh, Dr. Hugh Ross is going to expose for all of us. They observed the fine tuning in life. Everything is so finely tuned for life. And they had a lot of questions. And to the Jews, he wrote, you search the scriptures, you search the prophecies, you look through the old covenant and you're waiting for the one. And he says to both audiences, I have found the ultimate explanation. Every question you have, I have found the answer. For every person in this room this morning wondering if there is any meaning or purpose in life, the only meaning and purpose in this life is living in connection with this man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter what demographic we're at this morning, my prayer for every person in this room is that you would put Jesus at the centre of your circle. And watch what he will do with the rest of the circle. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for Jesus. And I am so thankful this morning that although this life offers no guarantees, we have all the guarantee we need in the person of Jesus Christ. I thank you that you prepare a place for every person. I thank you that a relationship and a connection with Jesus is available to every person. I pray, Lord God, that you would take the centre of each one of our circles. In your wonderful and glorious name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.